Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, May 5th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the governor pushes back in the battle over CARES Act spending power. Then, more on the coronavirus pandemic in Mississippi, Louisiana, and Alabama from the Gulf States Newsroom Roundtable. Plus, a yearly audit reveals $94 million in questionable use of TANF funds. This is Mississippi Edition on MPV Think Radio. Governor Tate Reeves is laying out the next steps of a strategic plan to open more Mississippi business and allow for more recreational activities. The new executive order amends his Safer at Home order, which he signed over a week ago and remains in effect until Monday, May 11th. The revisions allow for restaurants to reopen with certain health restrictions like masks for servers and limiting dining areas to half capacity. Reeves also says it provides an opportunity to resume outdoor youth athletics one of the things that i have personally missed most is sports i couldn't imagine a spring without watching my (laughs) girls play soccer or basketball or softball or whatever sport your kids may like to play it has broken my heart to see them go without it if only for several months We also know that the virus does not fare particularly well in the sun, and we do not believe that it fares particularly well in the heat. To be outdoors is about the safest place you can be. We are revising our order today to open more outdoor spaces, and we are revising it to change the restriction on social gatherings to allow for outdoor gatherings only of up to 20 people. That should be a large enough group to let kids get out and swing a bat or kick a ball or shoot a basket in the sun with their teams. You can get together with your family. It should help people start to return to normalcy. It is not a dive into the deep end. It also still requires you to be smart, to be diligent. During his daily press briefing, Reeves expressed regret over not being able to loosen restrictions on salons and barber shops. He did, however, pledge CARES Act funds to assist those businesses. I listened. As Dr. Burke said, that she urged states 
not to reopen salons and barbers, even in phase one or phase two of their reopen plan. I want you to get back to work, but I can't put the people of our state at unreasonable health risk to do so. Here's what I can do. I've instructed my team to come up with a plan to get some stabilization money out to salons and barbers from the CARES Act funds. It won't be enough to make up for all of the pain you have suffered. It's not a replacement for your ability to earn a living. It's just something, something I can do to help keep you stable. I wish I could do more for everyone. I can do this. We're working on the details, and those will be coming very, very soon. Reeves' power to distribute those funds is at the heart of a constitutional clash between the governor and state lawmakers. Last week, the legislature passed Senate Bill 2772, securing the spending power of CARES Act funds. Reeves is openly critical of the move. They scrambled to come back and pass a rushed law to strip our authority to spend CARES Act relief funds. Now, not to end our ability to make rules that affect you, just to take control of the money. That's all they're concerned about. They're going to debate how each legislator wants to spend it. They're going to do what legislators do, and they're going to cut deals, and they're going to divvy it up. It may take weeks and weeks. It may take months and months. And they can do all of that because, as was said on Friday morning by the lieutenant governor, we don't need to act with, quote, immediacy, because, quote, it's not like we have a Katrina event here. This is power politics at its worst. And while they may think they are attacking me, and they may think they are hurting me, I beg to differ. Reeves accuses lawmakers of only partially adhering to the Constitution in an effort to gain power. He also believes legislative control of the spending jeopardizes the state's CARES Act funds. They are supposed to deliberate. They're supposed to ask questions. They're supposed to be able to amend bills, and that makes the process better. But they have thrown out all of the traditions to try to make a political point about their power. If this was about following the Constitution, they would have followed the Constitution. Instead, they're only following the parts of the Constitution that they believe help them gain unprecedented power. Secondly, if they can't follow the simple rules in the Constitution, how can we expect them to follow the Treasury guidelines? If they fail, we will lose money in those guidelines. It makes very clear that with the CARES Act money, it is contemplated by the Treasury that the state's chief executive is the one in charge of these funds. Now, those guidelines also make clear that any monies that are misspent or any monies that go unspent will be taken back by the Department of Treasury. And we know that the process lends itself in legislative action, to not doing things that typically are illegal, but the horse trading in and of itself lends itself to spending money on things that maybe may not meet the guidelines. It puts 
our recovery at risk. It puts the entire $1.25 billion at risk. Reeves suggests he might disregard the bill, saying it conflicts with existing statute. Routinely, the governor has five days to sign or veto a bill after it's been passed. The Mississippi Department of Health is continuing its aggressive testing strategy this week through additional one-day collection sites. Two sites will be available tomorrow, one in DeSoto County at the Landers Center in South Haven, the other in Neshoba County at the Neshoba County Coliseum in Philadelphia. Anyone experiencing symptoms related to COVID-19 and feels they should be tested must first go through a free screening from a UMMC clinician through the C Spire Health UMMC Triage app. To stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news in Mississippi, visit mpbonline.org slash coronavirus. Coming up, more on the coronavirus pandemic in Mississippi, Louisiana, and Alabama from the Gulf States Newsroom Roundtable. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Gulf states of Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama are experiencing shared concerns as their local governments respond to the coronavirus pandemic. But unlike other parts of the country, the states aren't taking a coordinated regional approach to reopening their economies. In part two of this Gulf states newsroom roundtable, we join our own Kobe Vance along with WBHM's Janae Pierre and Paul Braun of WRKF in Baton Rouge and WW. In New Orleans to discuss some notable moments and the role of state legislatures for all of you. And we'll start with Paul. Is there anything notable or surprising about your state's response to the pandemic? Um, Well, I think something that's been relatively surprising is the love fest between Governor Edwards, a Democrat and and President Trump. Governor Edwards was up for re-election just this fall, and President Trump came down to the state three times to campaign against him. Um, but since this outbreak, uh, they've made an effort to have quite close relationships, uh, even while the conservative wing of the party in the state has been quite critical of Edwards. Um, President Trump was just on some some um, Republican talk radio yesterday, and um you know, wouldn't take the bait, wouldn't criticize Edward, said he's doing a great job. And that's that's been pretty surprising. Janae, what about you? Well, if I'm completely surprised, um, honest, I was surprised that Governor Kay Ivey didn't take a chance on the reopening gamble like our neighbor state, Georgia. Um, before Alabama's first confirmed coronavirus case, Ivy was pretty adamant about keeping the economy open, and she didn't issue a stay-at-home order until early May. So, I mean, no, early April. So to see her open the state in phases um, was a shock to me, but it was definitely the right decision, according to health officials. And, Kobe, what about you in covering the state of Mississippi in this regard? 
what has surprised you or, or is notable that you want listeners to know? Um, probably the thing that surprised me the most is how Mississippi took uh, uh, took that data-driven approach and shut down before some other states as well. Uh, we weren't the last ones. Um, and that definitely hurt our economy more than Governor Tate Reeves would be comfortable with. Um, he has always been a, an advocate for making sure the economy is strong in the state. And they had just finished building up the rainy day fund uh, to the point where they were bragging about that just as as late as January. And so now we're in a point where we're going to have to dip into some something uh, to be able to keep the state afloat. But, you know, he put that aside and he said it's more important to protect the people from the disease than to keep our economy open. Paul, we'll start with you. What is the status of your legislators? Were you in legislative session? Do you remain in legislative session? What's going on? Well, we announced our first case on on March 9th, which just minutes into the start of our spring legislative session. Um, They stayed in session for about a week and then shut things down. Uh, Legislative leaders announced that they're going to get things back up and running. Um, That's notably a couple weeks ahead of the end of our stay-at-home order. Uh, Governor Edwards said he doesn't have a problem with it. There's important business to be done. We've got to get our state budget in order. And um, he qualified them as essential workers. Um, and there's a lot of concern around public safety and, frankly, the safety of the legislature. We lost a state legislator last month to the coronavirus. Um, so it's it's been a, a real cause for concern. But um, you see a lot of folks in, in that body anxious to get back to work. Janae, what are legislators doing in Alabama? Here in Alabama, lawmakers are, are set to return to the Capitol. Uh, that'll give them about two weeks to pass Uh, the education and general fund budgets, and that's the two things that they're focused on mostly here. Um, Some Alabama House Democrats say the legislature should wait to pass the state's budgets, um, but we're not sure how the state capital is going to look. We know that it's going to be different, of course, with social distancing measures in place, Um, but basically lawmakers want to get back to work and get the budgets out of the way. Kobe, in Mississippi, the legislature is reconvening much earlier than they said. Why is that? They're convening to begin trying to take over the CARES Act funds that have come into the state. Mississippi received $1.25 billion from the CARES Act. And up until this point, Governor Tate Reeves has control over that money. However, the state legislature believes it's their duty as the state's budgeters to set a budget that uses that money and um, take that power away from Tate, Governor Tate Reeves. Because of the money and the amount of money, it sounds like they're wanting to have some more say in how that money is spent and make sure that money is more transparently spent. Janae Pierre is a reporter with WBHM in Alabama. Paul Braun is a reporter in Baton Rouge for WRKF, who's partnering with WWNO in New Orleans. Kobe Vance is a reporter with Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Thank you all very much. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Coming up, a yearly audit reveals $94 million in questionable use of TENF funds. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org.
This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. The Office of the State Auditor is reviewing $94 million in questionable use of TANF funds by the Department of Human Services and two of its sub-grantees. The audit of DHS showed massive sums were funneled to two nonprofits, the Mississippi Community Education Center and the Family Resource Center of North Mississippi. With little to no proof, these funds benefited the needy as required by the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families program. As State Auditor Shad White tells our Michael Guidry, former Director John Davis created a culture of impropriety at DHS. We released our single audit of state agencies in Mississippi. In this case, we found that most state agencies were doing a pretty good job, but the notable exception here is the Department of Human Services, which probably doesn't surprise many people given the fact that we arrested six individuals who were spending DHS money back in February. And very briefly, what it found, what the audit found, was that uh, a lot of money, $94 million, were dedicated to things that we could not prove were legally allowable expenditures of DHS money. Now, I know that the criminal investigation and the, the single auditor are, are separate things, but um, there is a bit of a Venn diagram where some of those things overlap. And, um, and Director John Davis was one of those indicted individuals. What role did he play in some of these questionable costs? John Davis was the director of DHS uh, for the fiscal year that we reviewed in this audit. And what we saw was that John Davis decided that uh, he didn't care a great deal about the laws and the regulations around how money, uh, specifically TANF money, should be spent. And so he awarded large sums of that money to two specific subgrantees, two nonprofits, one called MCEC and one called FRC. And uh, what we ultimately found was that a lot of the money that was spent through those nonprofits was misspent, meaning it was spent in contravention of federal law or federal regulations. John directed those monies there to those entities. Um, I'm sure that those entities are going to say that John told them to spend a lot of the money in very specific ways. Uh, Maybe he did, maybe he did not, but for the purposes of this audit, the main thing that we needed to identify was how did the money get spent and uh, what money was spent on things that aren't allowable. What is the process for subgrantees applying for and receiving TANF funds, and did that process evolve or change under the direction of Mr. Davis? It did. That process did change, and I think it changed for the worse. So prior to Director Davis coming into office, there was a more formal RFP process where subgrantees would go to DHS and they would bid for the right to get some of this TANF money, and if they got the grants from DHS, they would then disperse it according to the sales pitch that they made to DHS. Uh, at some point during John Davis's tenure, he did away with that more formal selection process and really just gave out the money to the subgrantees that he liked a whole lot. And when he did that, uh, he you know, cut off a process that uh, may have revealed some potential problems if that process had happened and the money goes to these subgrantees and after that the subgrantees uh, doled out money for various different purposes and a lot of it was inappropriate under the law. You can see some of those inappropriate uses in, in the report itself. You see spending on lobbyists, uh, which is not allowable and sometimes 
the contracts and scope of services that was signed with those lobbyists either didn't exist or it wasn't specific enough to describe what the lobbyists actually did. You can see spending on uh, exercise classes for elected officials. You can see significant spending on the family members of John Davis or the family and friends of uh, folks who are associated with the subgrantees, sometimes buying property for those folks, like buying vehicles for the staffers at MCEC, or uh, in one case, a staffer at MCEC was allowed to take out a loan and repay the loan with TANF money. The report itself is 104 pages, just specifically dedicated to DHS, and the 104 pages outlines some spending that is among the most egregious that staffers here in the auditor's office have ever seen. Under the direction of Mr. Davis, what percentage of federal TANF money uh, was being distributed to subgrantees, and what percentage was given in direct assistance to to individuals? Sure. So in the most recent year, the FY19 year, the year that we reviewed in this audit, 16% of the money, uh, the TANF money, was given directly to recipients. The remainder was given to subgrantees. Now, the vast majority of that remainder was given to two subgrantees specifically, MCEC and FRC. So 46% of total TANF money was given to MCEC and 32% was given to FRC. The Department of Human Services is under new leadership, um, but we're dealing with federal funds. What are some of the possible consequences that the state of Mississippi and the Department of Human Services might face uh, on, from, from the federal level regarding the mis- mishandling and misuse of these funds? So this audit that we have written will go to the federal government. They will look at it. They will review it themselves, and they will determine a number, a dollar total, that they believe was misspent based on everything that we have found. And then they have pretty wide authority to decide what they want to do in terms of consequences. So they could cut Mississippi's TANF grant next year by the amount of the misspending in FY19. They could uh, impose a penalty on Mississippi, which could be up to 5% of the total grant amount, so it could be a pretty stiff penalty. They could require the legislature to appropriate state money to backfill all the money that was misspent during FY19. They have several different options at their their disposal uh, once they receive this audit, and that decision really is ultimately theirs. Anything else that this audit revealed that you think the people of Mississippi ought to know? I think generally the audit revealed that at DHS there was a culture around John Davis and at these subgrantees there was a culture uh, attached to John Davis that simply believed that the most important thing was to keep the person who decides how to spend the money happy, not to follow the law and the regulations around how money should be spent. And if anything, I think this audit sends the message that that day in Mississippi has to be over, that we do not do business just to make one person at the top happy or something like that. And what I hope is that not only DHS, but every state agency and every arm of local government looks at this and they realize that if they were doing business the old way, that that way is done, and there is somebody watching this money, and all money, all public money, and they should begin to follow the law right now. Mr. Shad White is the state auditor for Mississippi. Thank you so much. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. The current director of the Department of Human Services, Bob Anderson, says he's working to clean up agency. He says the next step is to work with federal authorities on the state's audit. The next step for us is to take those question costs that are included in the audit 
and work with our federal partners to determine what the actual misspent dollars are. Uh, in, in the single audit, the question cost doesn't mean we owe every dollar of those funds back to our federal partners. We'll be working with them in the weeks and months to come to figure out what that dollar number is. The governor asked me to uh, take on this job as executive director uh, to, to go in and, and fix some broken processes. We have been doing that. But as I said the day he appointed me to this position, it was very obvious that the former executive director, John Davis, treated the money of this agency as if it were his. DHS Director Bob Anderson was appointed earlier this year by Governor Reeves. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.